Welcome to The Upshot, Ulti World Disc Golf's podcast about the latest in the disc golf world. I'm the publisher of Ulti World Disc Golf, Charlie Eisenhood, and I'm joined, as always, by Jamie Thomas. Jamie, good afternoon. How are you? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. I, uh, I left out a really cool story I was going to tell last week. So right. bridging from our last episode, when we were kind of talking about the growth of the culture of the sport, I was down in Austin for a, a wedding, friends of family, and took my wife and uh, my in-laws. We went over to Salt Lake, the famous Austin barbecue joint. Amazing barbecue, amazing barbecue all over Austin. Don't miss out if you go down there. That's facts. And oh, yeah, we're standing in line waiting to get a table. And I'm wearing I'm wearing a USDGC shirt and a hat from last year, which just has the chains. It's kind of like the shield and chains logo. It just says USDGC on it. Does not say disc golf. Does not say Innova. Does not say anything um, that that is like very obviously disc golf. One of the servers comes up and just starts chatting me up about disc golf. Out of the blue, just said, "Oh, hey, have you played the courses around here?" And I thought that was so cool, and I totally meant to bring it up last week in context of that conversation because that shows how much the culture is really growing in our sport that he didn't even need to see disc golf written on a shirt to know. And you have to be a, pro, you have to be a fan of the pro scene to, you know, to get what I was wearing. And so shout right. out to Mike from Salt Lick. Not only did he take great care of us while we ate at the restaurant and had some wonderful food, but a disc golf fan. And I was really happy to meet him. So what's up, Mike? Appreciate shout, it, man. Shout out to Mike. That's awesome. I played, yeah, a little disc golf. Disc golf. I played a little disc golf this weekend. I was down in uh, Myrtle Beach for a, an ultimate tournament, the sort of the major college closing tournament of the regular season. And uh, after the tournament on Sunday, got out to a course about 30 minutes outside of Myrtle Beach. Pretty nice. Pretty nice, all things considered. Uh, good blend of trees and some open shots. And uh, not th- they need more courses, though, in Myrtle Beach. If you've ever been to Myrtle Beach, crazy golf city. They have like probably the highest per capita number of golf courses on the planet. I wouldn't be surprised. And... Tons of mini golf courses, like mini golf, insane amounts of mini golf, yes. like to the point that you can't even believe it. You drive down a major avenue and you'll see like ten mini golf courses with giant dinosaurs and water f- flow falls and all this stuff. But they don't really have any disc golf courses, which is too bad. So uh, hopefully they can start to build out a disc golf scene down there. There's plenty of uh, plenty of room for it. Yeah, and I used to go to Myrtle to. You know, too much uh, personal story time. Used to go to Myrtle at the end of every school year. I went to school in North Carolina State, and so that was a popular destination. So I found out that the like world championships or the national championships of putt putt or mini golf, Myrtle Beach is like their headquarters. That's where I they played go. That's... That course. Oh, you played that actual one. I played the course where they hold the national championship <laughs> putt putt. It's not even they that take, good of a course, to be perfectly honest. They take it as seriously as we do. It's very it's like serious. That's, that's their Rock Hill. Like That's their <laughs> you know, worlds and everything. It's so great. But It's their yeah. Augusta, as we are their on Augusta. the brink of the Masters this week. Um, all right, well, let's talk a little disc golf. Uh, it, it's been a quiet week. We're getting ready for the Jonesboro Open this weekend, the third event on the Disc Golf Pro Tour. 
And uh, Steve Dodge will be joining us later on the show to talk about that event and how things are going for the Disc Golf Pro Tour in its third year. So stick around for that. Great interview with Steve. And uh, obviously, we've got to make our picks. we got to bounce back from a, just an absolutely horrific uh, set of picks at Waco. And the reason it was so horrible for us, Jamie, is that Simon Lazat didn't finish after he got caught in traffic. And unfortunately for fans of Simon Lazat, he will also be out this week at Jonesboro because his back is flaring up. And so he's not even going to make the trip out to Arkansas. Big bummer. Yeah, I was chatting with him yesterday a little bit as I was rewatching some of the footage from last year's Jonesboro. And Simon, you know, had a lot of time on the feature card and the lead card. Uh, but talking to him about his back and it's it's interesting to see the kind of change in his mental state where he's looking at a longer view of his career at this point. You know, a couple of years ago, especially when I was tour managing for him, he just wanted to go out and wow the crowd every time. And it didn't matter if he was at 100 percent or not. It It didn't always matter to him if he was going to win the tournament or not. He just wanted to go put on a great show. And I think especially in light of getting an early victory this season, he's kind of looking at that bigger picture and saying, okay, I need to sit this one out. So we're going to miss you, Simon. Uh, you know, obviously you want to see big arms throw long courses, but we'll, we'll look forward to his return, hopefully at GBO. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, you know, it's too bad because – He's looking like he's in great form, and uh, of course he won the memorial. And it just this back injury has just comes and goes for him. He texted me as well and told me that he he, he thinks it's partly because he doesn't warm up or stretch properly. And he said, you know, this sport is so one sided, and I put so much force into my throws that I have to compensate those movements off the course. And uh, he thinks he's getting old. And he even said, I, people will laugh and say that 25 isn't old, but it's starting to happen now. And I'm struggling to realize that my body isn't as young and flexible as I would like it to be. So hopefully a little time off can give him the chance to kind of get, get some yoga in or some stretching and he can start to straighten out. But I mean, it, it seems unsurprising to me that somebody that throws with the kind of sheer force as Simon has like some back issues. I mean, it just it seems like it comes with the territory almost. Uh, and hopefully this is a, a a chance for him to really think, you know what? It's important that I treat my body the right way, the way that I did in the off season in the, you know, training in the mountains and, uh, look how that started his season off, but uh, got to keep that routine up if you want to stay healthy. Yeah, and the, I mean, we compare this to the PGA Tour all the time. If you look at some of the big hitters, if you look at Tiger Woods, for example, has changed his swing many times throughout the years. I mean, his he couldn't, his body could not handle the torque that he was putting on his knees. Yeah, and I think you're going to see huge back problems the last few years. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's missed years uh, at this point. Uh, you know, coming up on Masters Week, what was it? Four years ago, 2014, something like that was the first time Tiger missed a tournament in 20 years. And it was because he had hurt himself over his form throughout his long career. And I think uh, I, I don't I mean, Simon's so smooth. 
you know, having spent a lot of time with him, he's so smooth on his form and it looks so effortless, but it is a tremendous amount of torque on his body. And we just, we don't have the science yet in our sport to really kind of break down what is long-term good and bad for our athletes. So, you know, you, you hope that whatever adjustment he has to make, he has to make, but it would not surprise me going forward in the sport to see more people kind of have to look to golf and say, all right, maybe I need to back off of this a little bit. Maybe I need to adjust my form so that, you know, I, I can have that long career. Right. Well, we wish him the best in recovery and hope we can see him out of the GBO at the end of the month. Let's talk a little bit about some of the courses that we've seen so far this year. Uh, we're getting ready for Jonesboro. And notably, Jonesboro is the longest course on tour so far this year. It checks in at 9,885 feet. It's par 64. And there were plenty of good scores on this course last year. They played a four-round event at Jonesboro last year. That'll be three events this season. Uh, But uh, this is a good... It's over 800 feet longer than the Terex course at Las Vegas. Uh, It's over 1,000 feet longer than the uh, Vista course at Memorial. And so this is a a pretty substantial course that's going to probably favor big arms. What do you expect to see going into this weekend and and from this course, Jamie? I think it's exactly like you said. It's the longest course that we've seen so far this year. And I have to say, I was kind of putting together a little table to compare them. And I was surprised a few of the courses that they played already are, are longer than I expected them to be. I mean, two of the courses in las vegas were over eight thousand feet um the vista layout is over eight thousand feet at the memorial and then the waco course checks in just short of eight thousand so they are playing a little longer courses than i expected but this still stands out at almost ten thousand feet long par 64 i mean you're you're looking at flex city you're looking at overstable big arm flex lines for right-handed backhanded players. That's the advantage on this course. There's the rolling Hills in Arkansas that make this course play even longer at times than, than the footage will read. So, you know, if you get caught on one of those side Hills and you have to kind of go up and over to get to the green and you, so you're, you're on the near side of the Hill and the greens on the back side of the Hill that approach shot is scary. So it's a lot about stretching and carrying to the sweet spot on the holes on this course. So I would expect big arms to have a, a pretty big advantage. You pulled up some of the stats on the uh, scoring average from the courses that we've seen so far. Uh, does anything stand out to you from those scores? Uh, yes, but I hesitate to put a whole lot of stock in them because Again, when we're looking at an MPO field, even in 2018, you're looking at a field that's going to have some low 900, high 800 rated players in it. So, uh, and to illustrate that point, let's look at the Memorial. Uh, Vista del Camino's field average for MPO was basically a three down, 2.92 under par. Obviously, when we see the best players shooting 10s, 11s, 12s, etc., you know, that the average is is very, very far from the hot round. So 
it's hard to put a whole lot of stock into it. Uh, but what was very interesting is that uh, Waco comes in. Uh, it's one of the shortest courses under 8,000 feet. I think uh, the only two courses that we've played this year shorter are Fountain Hills and Disc Golf Values at Wild Horse. But it was almost a full stroke lower than, for example, Vista del Camino. Now, if you're if you're fact checking me, you may look at Innova and Terex in Vegas and see it was only about one under par there. But there was a lot of weather. So I, I kind of in my unscientific statistical analysis kind of, you know, put some asterisks by them because that weather was insane. Yeah, the wind was crazy. So, you know, kind of bringing that around to this weekend, they're looking at weather again. And so we may actually see a field average that we may be much closer to par than we've seen all year, given the distance and given the potential inclement weather. Interesting. Well, we will see what happens. Uh, We're going to make our picks a little bit later. Ricky Wysocki and Paige Pierce are the defending champions at Jonesboro. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to be surprised to see Paige Pierce win it this weekend, but uh, I don't know. Are we getting to the point where if Ricky won, we would be surprised? Probably not surprised, but uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. Let's talk some just various topics. And one of the things we're going to start doing uh, again pretty soon is taking some mailbag questions. So if you have questions that you want us to answer on the show, don't hesitate to send them over. You can tweet at us. Ultiworld DG. You can email us discgolf at ultiworld.com or you can comment on the bottom of the podcast post on the website. Uh, and we're going to start taking some mailbag questions. But we kind of came up with some of our own this week as we uh, you know, had a kind of a quiet news week, all things considered, in disc golf. So I'll throw this one out at you right now. And uh, we're, you know, it's, we're talking MPO, at least for this question, because the FPO answer is so obvious. Who's the favorite to win Worlds, Jamie? Ooh, World Championships this year. Up in Smugs, Vermont. Uh, Jeff Spring going to do a great job up there, as, as he has done with the Green Mountain Championship. And if you can't tell, I'm stalling for time, because even though I wrote this question, I really don't know how to answer it. But I, I got, I'm going to go with Eagle. Wow. And and like it's by the slimmest of margins. And again, obviously, this is a fun question at this point. It's way too early to tell. I think Eagle McMahon is the favorite. I mean, what has he what has he not done this year so far? You know, not only did he go out and win Vegas, not only did he predict Simon to win Memorial, but then he came in second right behind Simon at Memorial. And then he goes to Colorado and shoots. 17 down to open a little a tier so like whatever level the competition has been that he's faced this year he's shown up and our constant theme that we've been talking about all year is consistency and where are where have the best players in the world been because they haven't been consistent well your most consistent mpo player right now is eagle mcmahon Uh, you you can't argue otherwise I, i don't think there's a way to say that that's not the case and, of course, you can ding him a little bit for sitting out Waco, but he went and just destroyed everybody at the tournament out in Colorado. 
So he'll be back against the top pros this weekend. And I think if he has a strong finish, not doesn't have to win it, but if he has a strong finish this weekend, I think we start talking about Eagle as, you know, this is his year. He's arrived. And, and maybe you can already say that, but uh, I hesitate because I want to see him play a course that's a little different than their very early season ones. And, you know, just because those are so well suited to his game, how does he handle a a little bit of a woodsier course, stuff that's not quite as just hyzer fest? And then I'm going to really buy in. And, and I'm pretty much ready to buy in. I've been ready to buy in on Eagle and all the hype for two years. And, you know, go back and listen to the podcast from a couple of years ago. I'm saying it's just a matter of time before he wins a major, before he wins an NT. Well, he's got the NT. So why not world championships this year? If I had to pick a favorite right now, I know it's been a couple of years since he's won one, but I think it might be Paul Macbeth. And oh. the reason is, you know, you have to discount a little bit the recent play. I just think that the overall level of consistency of Paul Macbeth with the long view, take the long view over multiple seasons, has been there. And I think if you made people pick right now, put money down, who do you put money down on? If you have to, if you pick one person, and let's say you get odds so you can... You, if you want to pick an underdog, you're going to get more favorable odds. But like, who's the odds-on favorite to that that people are going to be betting on? I think it's Paul Macbeth. I think it's Paul Macbeth. And you know, I know he hasn't won a tournament yet. Uh, a, a, at least a, a he obviously won an eight-year tour event, back, but he hasn't he yeah. hasn't won a disc golf pro tour or an NT yet. Uh, but I just think that when it when push comes to shove, that's where the money's going. That's where the odds are going to fall. And you're going to see Macbeth as the the favorite at this point in the season uh, because he's just done it for so many years. And his main foil, Ricky Wysocki, has struggled more than Macbeth and looks to have regressed a little bit uh, in at least at the beginning part of this season. So throw down the mountain help can you is what it sounds like you're saying. I mean, I'm just saying like even before throw down the mountain, I probably would have said the same thing. Okay. Because I just think that, on the whole, people are going to say, well, this is the year that Macbeth's going to go back and win it again. And I'm not saying that he deserves to be the favorite necessarily. I just think that if people were putting down money, they would be betting on Paul Macbeth. Can't argue with you. I mean, I, I was doing the mental exercise in my head. It, the best money is Paul or Ricky, and I... For me to even say Paul or Ricky for this year, I need Ricky to really – I kind of need him to win this weekend because you know we've been talking about Ricky the last couple weeks and we've been saying, oh, where is he? Where is he? Well, it's not like he's finished terribly. you know. In the two big events this year so far, he went third, fourth. So, But I, need, I would need Ricky to win to disagree with you. So, yeah, I can't fault it. All right, we have time for two more questions, and uh, we've got some more that we'll save for a future mailbag. Uh, to stay on the Macbeth Wysocki thing for just a moment, what tournament are we going to see either Macbeth or Wysocki break the seal and get the win? And I'm talking, obviously, 
disc golf pro tour, national tour, major? I, I'm going to say GBO and I'm foreshadowing my picks a little bit here, but I think that Ricky played really well here last year. And so I, I know I have that going against me, but I think the familiarity of GBO and the relative prestige of the event and the atmosphere in Emporia is still probably top dog in terms of all the tournaments we've seen so far this year. Um, and that's no disrespect to some very, very quality tournaments, but I, I think the hype is still around GBO a little bit more than some of the other events. And there's, there's a comfort level there. Worlds has been there and, and it, it's kind of been the Paul and Ricky playground. So I, I would expect there more than this weekend. I'm going to say Jonesboro. I'm calling this weekend. And I'm going to tell you who when we get to our picks. But I think that this is the weekend we're going to see one of them get on the top of the podium and take home some hardware. All right, last question before we talk with Steve Dodge. And it is, who is the best sub-1,000 rated player touring right now? I mean, uh, it's tough. I mean, sub-1,000, I might have to cheat a little bit here. I might have to go with somebody who's right on the 1,000 line. And I, and I think he was 999 recently. But I'm going to go with Zach Johnson. Uh, he's the, the Missouri boy, Latitude 64-sponsored guy. A couple years back, he almost won um, the Vegas tournament at the time called Gentleman's Club Challenge. Just strong player in the wind, has a booming forehand, and he's he's like quiet. You don't always hear about him, but he's always he's staying in the cash. He's staying on tour. And like I said, it's a little bit of a cheater answer right now. He is rated exactly 1000. But part of that is he's able to stay on tour a lot longer. I, I mean, the 990s and 980s, it's really, really hard to stay on tour at that level right now because you're just not cashing as much. I'm going to go with. Mike Conley out of Illinois. He's rated 994 right now. That's his highest rating ever. He's made a slow march up from the high 980s up into the mid 990s. And I feel like he's probably going to get to that thousand rated mark. Uh, He's had a solid start to the year. He cashed at Las Vegas and Memorial, finished 55th and 50th. And it's coming off a pretty solid 2017 that saw his rating climb throughout the course of the year. And, you know, obviously when you're talking about guys at this point that are, you know, sub 1000, they're not going to be winning lots of tournaments. They're not going to be household names, but uh, Mike Conley respected guy, someone that I think we could continue to see more of. And uh, somebody that I think uh, is, is right there in that conversation. You know, I was tempted to take Lance Brown, but that's mostly just because of recency bias when he won the Wintertime Open and everybody was like, holy hell, Lance Brown. And, uh, you know, that was a great performance, no doubt. But the consistency is not there. I think you see a little bit more consistency from a guy like Mike Conley. So that's that's my pick. All right. 
this would be a great thing to hear from everybody. If, if you guys have, if you're listening out there and you're like, oh, Jamie and Charlie just missed on this one person. <laughs> tell us. Holler back at us. Let, let us know who is the best sub 1000 rated touring pro. And Quick, we can say regionally touring. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I, I think regional is fine for a question like this. One thing, speaking of um, just getting feedback from from you, the listeners, uh, some great comments on our podcast last week, especially about uh, the disc conversation that we had with the with the signature series of um, you know touring pro discs, and just uh, I'm not going to read these entire comments, but there some really some good comments on the post itself on Ulti World. Uh, for one thing, we didn't we we said that the discs were effectively the same and so with a different stamp but a few people pointed out that most of the discs like the McPro AVR which we did talk about last week in the Sexton Firebird uh come with its own special plastic blend which does of course then change the stability and potentially make it feel like a different disc than a you know sort of standard AVR or Firebird and so uh there are reasons that you would want to get the disc besides just the fact that you're supporting the the player or that the disc looks cool uh, because, of course, the flight characteristics may be more different than it would just be as like a run-to-run change. So I wanted to make sure that we pointed that out. Um, and, uh, you know, also really cool, the commenter iDigitFirst said, uh, just want to chime in about the Tour Series discs. As a beginner, brought to the sport purely by stumbling across Jomez on YouTube. First of all, that is so awesome that somebody great. came across Jomez and then was like, wow, I should play disc golf. Um, he says, uh, first off, the success of the later Sexton Firebird runs can be directly attributed to his contributions to Jomez. The Sexy Firebird was the first tour series disc I heard about, the one I knew the most about. And since I'm a forehand dominant player and a huge fan of Nate Sexton, the first one I wanted. For the reasons you mentioned, I refuse to purchase one off the second market because that doesn't help Nate. Um, do I realize that his Firebird is essentially the same as any other one, including the two others that I have, and won't automatically make me make me Nate Sexton? Of course, but that's not why I want it. Uh, he had a lot more to say, but uh, I, I think that's pretty much captures the primary reason that people would buy those discs, um, flight characteristics aside. Sure. And, you know, when you're talking about being a fan, most people throwing these tour series discs are not the thousand rated players. So uh, we probably squash the nuance a little bit. Um, what I kind of meant by this essentially the same disc is essentially a regular Firebird will work for you the same way a Saxon Firebird will. Because sure. you have to get to a certain rating before you can start to eliminate operator error shot over shot. Uh, so that's probably my fault too for squashing that nuance somewhat. But I, I totally agree. There there are some differences, and we were talking after the show last week, Charlie. I play a little guitar. I've always been a big fan of music and pretty much been a musician my whole life. Uh, two of my three electric guitars that are sitting in this room with me right now are signature models. So it's so funny because I don't have a single signature model in my disc golf bag. But when you flip over to something that I'm not nearly as good at, that I'm more of like just that fan level, I love it. And, and I know, look, I know I'm never going to play guitar like Mark Tremonti, 
but I love the way his guitar sounds and I want to have a little bit of that. So I totally identify with that, that, that want to, you know, not only support your favorite people that do things that, that make you just go, wow. But that, you know, if you kind of realize in a way that that's not going to be where you're going, you're like, Hey, just, just, I want to keep that person doing what they're doing. So keep buying signature discs. I know the pros love it. Definitely. All right, coming up next, Steve Dodge joins us right here on The Upshot. We'll be right back. Joining us now is Steve Dodge. He's the Disc Golf Pro Tour Tour Director. Steve, how are you? I'm doing really well, Charlie. Nice to talk with you again. And uh, Jamie, welcome to, uh, welcome to The Upshot. Thank you. Appreciate that. So, Steve, Jonesboro Open coming up this weekend. How's, uh, how's things looking for the event, and uh, are you excited for number three? Uh, I am excited for number three being our third season and number three being our third event. And the, how are things looking? The course, everybody has said the course is gorgeous. Uh, Brad Peets and crew have done an amazing job, uh, improving all of the little things from last year. I saw them out here a couple of days ago, putting tick repellent out. Uh, so my, I haven't gotten a tick yet. I've been out here three days. And so they, they took everything to heart and are, are looking to make this a really nice destination. Uh, the one thing I am worried about is weather. We have a, there's potential snow on Saturday. In Arkansas. That's crazy. <laughs> in Arkansas <laughs> in April. That's, um, so break down a, a couple of some of the changes and notes that the TDs were given and, uh, and how they improved it. Uh, so the, the three big, we're in Arkansas. There's no doubt. The three big things were, uh, poison ivy, thorns, and ticks. Uh, so <laughs> they, they addressed all three of those things. They also made the women, they added some new women's teas. We had, I think three or four last year, and I think there's six or seven this year. So, uh, they, they addressed some of the, the, my, they addressed some of my concerns about the women's teas and, uh, making it so that the women have an opportunity to, to get inside circle two on their drives. And the, the course uh, there's just been a couple of little tweaks. It's uh, overall the course is pretty much the same, and uh, the, everybody loved the course. It was the it was the extra things that they had trouble with, and they addressed all of those. Um, Brad had me lined up to go on, I think it was WFIN this morning, which is a local radio sports radio show, and uh, did a nice interview with those guys. And he he does a really good job with the local media. Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings had a you know, welcome disc golf pro tour and their marquee. And there's a billboard just outside of town as you come in, says the pro tour is here. So yeah, he's got it going on. Great. Uh, of course, Ricky and Paige won this event last year. Uh, Ricky almost lost to Simon, but now Simon not going to play this weekend, unfortunately out with the back injury. Um, and I guess, do you expect to see, uh, a rise to the top again from the, the top players like Ricky and Paige, or do you think we're going to see more of a continuation of the wild results that we've seen so far to start the year? Well, wouldn't, isn't it kind of funny that if Ricky or Paul won this event, it would be a wild result, <laughs> right? Uh, that's true. That's kind of fun. Uh, the cream rises to the crop in all occasions. And this, this long course tests the whole game. So I would expect we would see, the uh, usual suspects at the top of the leaderboard. Jeremy Colling obviously just had a great, great round in Waco. 
James Conrad played really hot last week or the week before. So I, I would expect to see the usual suspects. I'm not going to put any money down on anybody winning, though. I want to ask you a question about uh, you were talking about the welcoming community up in Jonesboro and in the kind of bigger sense in the pro tour, you've picked a couple places to host events that are not necessarily the main stops on the tour. Um, Were you influenced to do that? Looking at the case studies of like Emporia or Rock Hill, when you have these smaller communities that really embrace disc golf or was it the course and the director? How did you kind of go about choosing these places that may not be well known for hosting pro events for your tour? Uh, that's a great question. And I would say with events like, like D glow and Utah open, uh, those events have, and Waco, those ex- events have existed, but they weren't necessarily in the prime of their careers. Uh, or in Utah's case, they, you know, they hadn't, they were constantly rising, but they hadn't gotten up there yet. Um, and in the case of events like, uh, San Francisco and Jonesboro and Idlewild, where there had literally been no premier event, premier events, uh, San Francisco Safari is obviously a great event, but it's not a, uh, a pro tour or a national tour. Sure. Um, those, those events, you got to look at the course. You have to look at the venue as a whole, what amenities it has. I personally prefer private locations where we can control the crowd and, uh, and make sure that, uh, like, unlike the Memorial where you have the sidewalks going through, we, we don't have total control over those public parks. I like to have control over the park. And, uh, and then you look at the, the guy that's going to be running it and Brad Pete's here in, uh, Jonesboro, he's got his, his finger on the pulse of Jonesboro and they, they put in tens of thousands of dollars in the marketing locally. And, uh, it'll be really fun to see, to see how the town reacts this year. They got, they got two to 300 people out here in not really a disc golf Mecca. And I'm expecting to see 500 plus on Sunday. You're, you're a couple years in now to the pro tour and uh, a few events in here to the 2018 season. How are things shaping up? Are you feeling positively about the trajectory of the tour so far? Uh, do you feel like you're making progress year to year? What's your perspective? It can be hard to go out and try to build something, you know, kind of on your own and have to do wear a lot of hats and do a lot of different things. And there can be good days and bad days. So so where do you stand right now in terms of how you think things are progressing uh, with the Pro Tour? Uh, it, it's funny because I hear when, when you ask a politician, you know, hey, how's your how's your life going or how, how are things going? And everything's always the best ever. Um, it's really funny cause I, I pride myself on being pretty candid, uh, right now it's going honest to goodness about as good as I can imagine. Um, Seth and I were having breakfast this morning and he said, uh, I think I've got everything dialed in. <laughs> it was just one of those like funny things. And I looked at him and I said, I think I do too. It feels like we're missing something cause everything's sort of just going exactly how it's supposed to be going. Um, Patrick driving the truck gets here a week early and the course is set up, you know, Sunday before the tournament so that the players, when the players roll in on Monday, all the assets are up and they can, they can test the court. They can practice the course the way it's supposed to be done. Um, and to, to your point about building something on your own, uh, you, we all know there's no way that I could build this on my own. Um, having, having a dedicated crew 
you know, T- Terry and Smashbox, Matt and UDisc, uh, Patrick driving the truck, Seth with the social media, um, the PDGA helping out. We have got tons of partners. It's, you know, it's, it's a group effort and a lot of people are, are cheering for us and a lot of people are watching. So, uh, getting, I think over well over 200% growth at Waco, it's close to 250% the day of, uh, I mean the day after. So it's more and more people watching and things are going about as good as they could go right now. What are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way throughout the first two years of the tour that are kind of contributing to, to, uh, your feeling about the tour right now? <laughs> my, that's, that's a great question. My, uh, the lessons that I've learned are, uh, basically, um, don't call something a standard until after you've done it for a few events. That's the big one. Um, I have a, I have a, a way of thinking where I know how I want things to be. And so I would, the way that my mind works is I'll set that up as a standard and we will go along. And when someone doesn't meet the standard, we'll have a discussion about it. And the way most people see the word standard, which is accurate, is that you can't break a standard. And uh, so the one thing, and I obviously I did that with baskets. We did that with payout a little bit, but we we fixed that. So um, setting, making things go a certain way. And then once they start to work, putting it out there saying, okay, just so everybody knows, this is our standard. We've tested it for a few events. It seems to be working. Everybody seems to like it. And so we actually have some, we have a, we're working on a, uh, a folder for our website called organizational documents. And so we're, we're testing a bunch of things this year and we're not making them standards until we're comfortable that we can do it all the time. So that's the big lesson that I've learned. And I think that's, that's sort of what's helping us along. Um, and in fact, actually, Addie Maxwell had her article on, uh, on Ulti World. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because that was, that was the same kind of lesson where I put out, here's all the things we're going to do. And uh, some, I, think, I think, in fact, part of the problem was she overinterpreted what we were going to do. And uh, it would have been better for me to just do the stuff and then later on say, okay, here's the stuff we're doing. And uh, just sort of rather than putting the expectation out there, just sort of do it for a little bit and then say, okay, this is what we're doing. So that's what I've learned. What's the, what, what, what are the next biggest steps that the pro tour needs to make in your mind? How, how do you, how do you go to the next level, whether that's getting more sponsorship dollars or, um, having more events or more viewership? Like what are the things that you really look to as kind of the benchmarks that you want to hit as you build over the next couple of years? from the very first moment that we started this uh, to this moment, and I suspect for the next decades to come, the one thing that I need to focus on and the pro tour needs to focus on is getting people to watch. We need to develop these. The, if you think about the, the pro tour as a, as a play, uh, the, the, the players are our characters in the play and we need to develop the players and have, have the fans, create an emotional bond with them. It's part of the reason that we have Dixon doing those interviews and asking them questions about them before disc golf. Uh, I think it's fantastic that you guys and other podcasts talk to the players and ask them 
the fantastic questions about like on hole 10 when you were down by two what were you thinking and where was the wind and getting really technical that's critical as well but if we have some sort of baseline where we can understand who these guys are as guys and gals are as as people then we can get a little more emotionally involved and then our play becomes that much more impressive and more people want to watch it so for for me the word watch encompasses everything we're trying to do so I know you're a fan of the show and I appreciate that very much. And so, you know, that, you know, we always want to ask some tough questions. So that well, you mind, already did. Oh yeah. It keeps coming. <laughs> I, you know, we like to say that the Tuesday night podcast is for the fun questions. And then the Wednesday morning podcast is for the tough ones. So, uh, but, uh, we, there's been no shortage between the pro tour and the world tour. Um, of kind of feeling out the public along the way and sort of saying, okay, let's not step there. Let's step here instead. Um, and one thing that happened sort of back towards the beginning, beginning of the year with the season trailer featuring the car driving in the Canyon over what kind of looked like a <laughs> dystopian Los Angeles. Yep. I kind of want to ask a similar question. Like, what did you learn from that? That was kind of mixed reactions online. What was kind of your intention going there and what were you trying to accomplish? So I'll go ahead and say last night we were talking, uh, and, uh, I don't remember what it was. We, we put something out there and there was, there was again, as you say, politely mixed reactions. And one of the guys said, if you're on the internet, you can't pay attention to negative comments. And obviously it was said in jest because there's a reason people were saying negative comments, but regarding that one, I did not see mixed reactions. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I only saw negative reactions. Um, so uh, I guess that we, in fact, are not a car racing brand. We are a Frisbee brand. So that's, that's one thing that I learned from that. Um, that, uh, that piece was, was intended to be a, a warm-up right before the, turn, right, right before the uh, season started. And it was going to be one of, the, you know, one of our little clips in the Circle Zero show. And it, instead, it got destroyed. <laughs> and that's, uh, yeah, I guess I just learned that we are not a car racing brand. There you go. Is there is there anything you're kind of putting in for the future? I mean, do you have somebody in PR for the tour? Um, how do you kind of go about creating all this content, like you said, with Circle Zero and all the additional things on top of the tournament coverage itself? So uh, Seth Fendley is our VP of PR. And he's also the head of social media. And uh, on Thursdays, he's also the cook. So um, we obviously all wear a lot of different hats. And Seth and I, at the beginning of, I guess during the off season, we talked about the concept of branding. And uh, it was one thing, in my opinion, the World Tour always did a great job of. And as, as Charlie said, you know, when you're wearing a lot of hats at the beginning, you, you can't necessarily do everything. And branding is one of the things that, we did a maybe an okay job of, but it was an, an easy place to improve. So Seth and I made a concerted effort. If you look at our posts now, we all have, they always have the same the same frame around all of them. And uh, it's interesting the the Circle Zero show, which is the first fifteen minutes of our live broadcast, in fact, does not have that frame yet. And it's one of the things I'm working on with Dixon Jowers, who uh, who puts that together, so that we can sort of bring him into the branded fold. So. Uh, it's, it's a, it's 
a progress. Uh, what do they call that? A learning progress, learning process. Sure. So it's a learning process. Uh, Seth and I work on the branding and we try to make sure it's all consistent across, across all of our channels. And that's, uh, this is the first year we've ever had that as a, as a focus. To change gears uh, a fair amount here, you were the driving force behind getting Vibram Disc Golf off the ground. What was your reaction to finding out, uh, I guess now last month, that they're going to be ceasing production and uh, basically shutting it down? Uh, I was I was sad. Um, but like like many things that, that go away, you can kind of see that they're on their way. Um, that it wasn't a surprise to me, but, uh, but I was sad to see it go. I'm sorry that they, that they were not able to get the momentum that they needed to keep going. Uh, and uh, in my opinion, they have a, a unique product that can, can be used, uh, to an advantage in disc golf, but, uh, not enough people saw it that way. And, and the disc didn't fly off the shelves. Any other thoughts um, about it? There's, I mean, this the last few years, kind of in general, summing up everything we've been talking about, have been a big departure from the norm in disc golf. You know, between the tours developing, between manufacturers coming and going, and you've kind of worn a lot of hats to bring that theme back throughout the years in the sport. Where do you see? us now compared to maybe five, 10 years ago? Are, are you optimistic about where we're going? Are you or, or cautiously optimistic? I, I would assume you're somewhat optimistic. <laughs> um, in the darkest of moments, I tend to be optimistic. Um, Jenny says it's one of my strengths and, uh, and, and she's the person who's, who kind of helps support me in those darkest moments when, you know, it's funny because sometimes I'll call her and say, just give me five minutes. I just want to vent for a little bit. And then she'll listen and, and sometimes she laughs and sometimes she, she consoles me, but, uh, yeah, there, there are obviously always dark moments. Um, but even, even in those dark moments, I tend to be optimistic, um, in moments like this, when, when things are going well, when we, uh, we're, we're recognizing that we're going to have bad weather. So we're starting to prepare for it. And we have a good team that understands what that means and, and, all you need to do is say, Hey, we have bad weather coming and everybody just goes into bad weather mode. And we know what all of our roles are in that situation. It's we're in a really nice place right now. And I'm glad you worded the question you did the way you did. Uh, it would be easy to say, where are we going to be in five to 10 years? And are we ever going to get to be big? But I think if people look, look back five years and then look to where we are now, it's pretty shocking. I mean, every, every event, you know, every event on the pro tour is going to be live broadcast. Every NT and every major is going to be, uh, have significant edited footage that is just fantastic to watch. The, the sport is, we're blowing up and we're witnessing it right now. Um, everybody talks about when is that big sponsor going to come in? I would go ahead and say, we've already got a good number of big sponsors and they're just going to get bigger. It's, it's happening. Yeah, I think people seem to hold out for the idea that, you know, Nike's just going to parachute in and, like, drop $100,000 on a sponsorship. I don't think it works that way. I think you start small. You start with companies that maybe don't have the cachet of a Nike or an Under Armour or whatever, a Gatorade. 
uh, and eventually you get there by proving value to the smaller companies that you're working with and building audience. Uh, I, I guess I won't sit here and wax about this. Do you, do you see it the same way? I do see it the same way. Uh, and it's interesting because pretending that a company comes in and just drops a hundred thousand dollars on, and I'll go ahead and say on the pro tour, uh, at that point we need to be ready to show that we can give that value. And, uh, I think the way you do that is by getting 20,000 and $40,000 and $60,000 sponsorships and, and, and succeeding. And you just, you got to grow in that way. If someone just dropped a hundred thousand dollars on us, <laughs> we've got to we've got to look really good really fast <laughs> and uh like at, at waco we couldn't show the first three holes because there were uh, power lines that were acting up and and i don't know that that would be acceptable and so it's like there's some there's some things we need to work out first but you know we we've got night eyes on board we've we've got grip six on board um we've got uh silly pint we've got zuka um last year we had Tempercraft on board and this year we have proactive sports disc golf, which encompasses Tempercraft. Like they actually said, let's create a whole division for disc golf. And this is a, this is a company that was a golf company. So that's, that's how it happens. These guys are jumping in, they're sticking with us and they're liking what they're seeing. All right. Complete this sentence for me, Steve. The third year of the disc golf pro tour will be considered a success if, Uh, we complete it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, that's, I mean, how, I don't, I don't even know how it wouldn't be a success. Uh, we're going to have the live broadcast at every event. We're going to have the UDIS stats at every event. The players are going to play. The events are going to happen. The fans are going to come. Uh, are you asking me, you know, we want to see 200% growth. Um, we're, we're going to see growth. We're going to continue to see growth. I should say, uh, the tour championship is going to continue to grow in stature. Uh, it's, it's going to be one of the crowning events of, of our sport in, you know, it might be this year and it might be in a couple of years, but it's getting more and more important. The, the tour is continuing to grow. More people are watching, more sponsors are reaching out, more venues want to be on the tour, it's i don't see how it couldn't be all right well we certainly wish you the best good luck with the uh weather conditions this weekend and thanks for joining us here on the upshot you're you guys are very welcome is this going to be out before the jonesboro open oh yes so there is one piece of information that i should give you uh please do in in the in the spirit of continuing to try to improve we are putting ourselves out there again and uh, we'll have an article about this, but you guys can preempt us as you often do, because you guys just get the scoops. Uh, we will, for the first time, we will be having off-site commentary uh, at the Jonesboro Open. It's something people have talked about for years. You guys have talked about it for years. And at this event, we're going to give it a try. And uh, so we're going to have uh, Corey Murrell and uh, Sean Jack will be in San Francisco providing the commentary for the live feed as it comes through. Terry's going to be operating a camera on ground and uh, our, we should have good audio and, you know, assuming the internet in San Francisco keeps up, uh, it should be a fantastic show with a, with a new audio look and feel. Very cool. Very cool. Definitely look forward Whoa. to seeing yeah. how that looks. 
yeah, I'm I'm excited too. We'll, we'll see. All and right, and then and then we'll do an assessment next time. We'll go back to having Terry do the commentary. But once once we do an assessment of this, we'll be open to to potentially repeating it. Awesome, excellent. So thanks so very thank much, you guys. Steve. Keep doing what you're doing, and uh, I look forward to uh, continuing to read every article that comes out. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Steve. This is meteorologist Jacob Wilkins with your Upshot Weather Forecast, presented by Fritching Gloves. The Jonesboro Open takes place this weekend in Arkansas. Temperatures will warm into the low 60s on Friday before rain settles into the region during the afternoon and evening hours. A cold front will usher in much colder conditions on Saturday. Temperatures to start Saturday will be in the low to mid-30s before warming into the mid-40s. A 15-mile-per-hour hour northerly wind will make it feel more like it's in the 30s all day. Another chilly start to the day is expected on Sunday, though temperatures should warm into the mid-50s by the afternoon hours. Wind will shift from the northeast to the southeast throughout the day. Don't let weather affect your game. Friction Gloves help provide a consistent grip in all conditions. Visit www.frictiongloves.com to grab a pair today. Welcome back to The Upshot. Well, it's that time of the show. It's picks time, and hopefully we can start to chip away at the deficit that we face to the listeners after just one event, and we will get right into it here with our picks for Jonesboro. I'm going to let the listeners go first this week since they are out in front. I think what we should do is do it exactly like you would do on the tee. If you won the previous week, you make the first picks. That's the most fair. We go down the card from there. I like it. So our listener this week is Daniel. Daniel says it right out in the email. I know they're a bit chalk, but I'm in it trying to win it for the listeners. Here we go. In MPO, Daniel's got Paul McBeth. He's got Eagle McMahon. And he's got Nate Sexton in that order. Remember that you get the bonus for picking the winner. And in FPO, he's got Paige Pierce, Lisa Fakus, and Katrina Allen. Definitely strong picks. He originally wanted Simon Lazat, but of course, Simon sitting out this week with the back injury. So he took his Discmania teammate, Eagle McMahon, and plugged him in into that second spot. And uh, yeah, I, I think very solid picks from Daniel. And he uh, he thinks Paul McBeth is uh, coming in from a win at the throw down the mountain. And we'll want to prove it's not just because of the field that he played against. Uh Snooze, Daniel. So <laughs> chalky. Oh my goodness. I, I can't I can't blame. You gotta play to win. And but, the huge lead for the listeners just they can play from ahead at this point. Right. So I look, I don't care. I am still gonna stick to my wild guns because it's more fun. I could pick chalk all year and it would be like a two point victory one way or the other, but I'm gonna well, take we also, that we gotta get back into it. So we gotta That's we gotta true. take some risky picks sometimes. Are we are we combining our scores or is no. it you versus me oh, versus no. listener? We're all on our own. Oh, we're all on our own. I'm, oh, okay. I, if I can't catch listeners, I still am out here to crush you. Mm. Yeah. See, I want to do this like bracket buster. I'm going to be the bracket buster. That's my goal this year. So we're gonna we're just gonna go out on a limb. Uh, so I think it's on me. I'm actually I, taking you, Loyola Chicago to win the college championship disc golf uh, tournament later this month. There you go. <laughs> hey, do you, I, I don't like, even I know if they, they have, a have a team. I don't think they have a team. They probably don't have a team. Uh, well, you were the unfortunate victim of a double DNF last week. So that's going to put you, Bob, back in that box. So 
Big time. I guess it's my turn. You're up. My turn to do the picks. All right. The chalkiest I'm going to get, I'm going this week, Eagle McMahon for the win. For all the reasons I said he's the favorite to win Worlds, and because he's just someone that, like, when you watch his blog posts and everything, he just, like, he astounds. He, I don't want to say amazes. He amazes me with his disc golf play, but, like, his personality and all that, there's just something about him. I just keep watching all the stuff he puts out. So, Eagle McMahon has won my heart for this season. I'm going to put him to win Jonesboro, even though he didn't play it last year. And I am going to follow up with two non-shock picks that may cost me the entire weekend. But I'm doing it anyway. Also on the podium, Nico LeCastro. Go back and watch the way he played this course last year. He is, he loves overstable discs. He throws that flex backhand line and he is so good at it. And you know he can range putts if he can get his mind right. I was, I'm very inspired and encouraged by what I saw at Memorial. Totally. Nico, don't let me down. Find that podium. And then I'm going to go another outside the box pick. Hailing all the way from Finland, from Turku, Finland, going to Jonesboro, Seppo Paiu. That dude can throw it a mile. His, his putt is sketchy, but if he can get if he can get that ground clearance and get inside the circle enough with his arm off the tee, he could surprise some people this week. So McMahon LaCastro Paiu, McMahon for the win. That's gonna be my picks. And uh FPO, FPO, I'm a little closer. I gotta play it a little closer to the vest. If you're not picking Paige Pierce to win this thing, then you haven't been watching. So Paige Pierce, take down FPO. I'm gonna put Lisa Fakus in second. I want to have Fakus get a win, but I just don't know if this is the course for her to do it. It's a little bit long, uh, so she's going to really need to rely on that putter. And Paige brought the putter in Waco, so how can you not pick her? And then uh, I'm also going to put Jennifer Allen on the podium for exactly that distance. I think uh, this is a really good course for her. So Pierce Fakus, Jennifer Allen, my FPO picks. All right. Well, I'm bringing up the rear. But uh, this is the week that I'm going to start my bounce back. And uh, in MPO, I, uh, I teased it earlier. You know I'm picking either Paul McBath or Ricky Wysocki. And it's Ricky Wysocki. I am starting to come to terms with the idea that the previous year's result on the course feels like the most important factor in success at the course the following year. And we saw it last, or not last week, but three weeks ago at Waco, where Big Germ had a fantastic weekend and won the tournament. And of course, that followed up his 2017 win at the same course. And it's not like he had a great start to the season. You wouldn't have expected him to win if you were just picking without thinking about the course itself, but he obviously feels comfortable there and took it down. So Ricky's been a little off. There's no doubt about it. But this is the week where we'll see him bounce back. This is a course that he's comfortable with. He shot some insanely scorching hot rounds, uh, especially the first two rounds here last year. And if he can build that lead again, I think he can definitely take it down. So I'm calling Ricky Wysocki to take the top of the podium. I got James Conrad coming in second. James Conrad has been flirting with 
you know, high finishes. And he, he had like that bumpy uh, finish to, I believe it was Vegas. Uh, no, Memorial. Uh, they all blend together in my head. Um, yeah, but he won from the chase card last weekend. Th- that's right. And, and, and so, so at the A tier, he comes off the chase card, plays great. And I expect to see him right back up there. I think this course suits him well. And he's, uh, he's primed for a, for a big showing. It's, it just feels like he's been ramping up to this. And third, I've got Eagle McMahon. It definitely wouldn't shock me if he won it. Uh, he's been playing so well. But uh, this is, uh, you know, he's had a couple weeks off. Uh, didn't play against the top pros last time. I expect him to be consistent. Still finish up at the top of the leaderboard. Uh, but I think that this is Ricky Wysocki's weekend to reestablish himself. In FPO, uh, I'm taking Paige Pierce. Let's, there's, there's nothing else to say. Yep. Second, I've got Sarah Hokum. She played well here last year. This is, uh, you know, the distance, definitely a little bit of a question mark, but... There's plenty of holes where her ability to make good quality tunnel shots and that kind of thing come into play. So I like her ability to control the disc on a course like this, even though she's obviously going to be at a big disadvantage to Paige Pierce. Um, and third, I've got Lisa Fakus, uh, who has just been really in the top three pretty consistently this year so far. So uh, those are my FPO picks. I mean, nobody... Nobody has more motivation to come out and show up than Sarah Hokum, considering the way Waco finished. So if this Seriously. will be a good, this will be a really good uh, question or, or kind of answer to your question. Is it the previous year's performance or is it the previous week's performance, which is more of a factor? Yeah, a hundred percent. And uh, Very cool. it is pretty cool. So those are the picks. They're in the books. Time to start clawing back some points from the listeners. Coming for you. Thanks so much for joining us. That's going to do it for this week's edition of The Upshot. We will talk to you next week right here on the show. See ya.